Hello and welcome to Story Radio, the home for writers, readers and lovers of short stories everywhere. Today, as part of the Waterloo Festival Online, we're going to be listening to Persepolis, written and produced by Mickey Lenton. Persepolis. The trousers of Tony's M&S woolen suit that he hadn't worn since he'd taken redundancy a few months earlier felt tight against his thighs. Worried that he'd rip a hole in the seat if he bent over too quickly, he knelt on the pavement to lock his motorcycle, the rust of the wet chain staining his fingers. He had forgotten to ask Fatima, the volunteer manager, about the dress code, but thought that as he was putting his 20 years of experience as a recruitment consultant to good use, helping refugees find work, that he should dress smartly. Anyway, Lorraine, his wife, had told him that he looked very professional as she tidied his tie before he'd left that morning. Tony felt good as he drove to the train station, pleased that he still impressed her. As Tony pressed the buzzer of the Waterloo Refugee Network, he looked around at the old Vic Theatre behind him. Endgame by Samuel Beckett was still playing. He'd seen it some weeks earlier with an arty friend from university and pretended to understand it. When Lorraine had asked him in bed that night what he'd thought, he said, I'm not sure. I just thought it was very cruel, you know, all that climbing up ladders that Clove, the servant character, does, constantly trying to leave. It must be exhausting, especially when he knows he can't leave. I don't know why Evan found it so funny. Lorraine nodded, her lips closed, and returned to her book. I'm here to see Fatima, Tony spoke into the intercom, noticing his breath smelling of coffee. Who? A crackly voice asked. Fatima, oh, she isn't here today. Oh, I'm sure she told me to start today. You're making a delivery. Can I come in, please? Tony pushed on the glass door and waited. A few seconds later, the door unlocked and he entered a brightly lit reception area that looked like a stark doctor's surgery. Hi, um, I'm starting today, you know, as a volunteer. My name's Tony. Tony Dunn, he said to the receptionist as a gust of hot air from an overhead heater warmed his bald patch. Please wait, she said, pointing him to the waiting area. Tony sat on the only free plastic seat and bent his head to one side so he could listen to the receptionist as she spoke into a telephone. There's a man here for Fatima. I know. I don't know. I I don't know why he's here. What shall I say to him? After a minute, she looked up at Tony. Someone's coming. Look, I don't know what Fatima told you, but we're really busy today. Have you seen all these people? It's really not a good day to start. I don't know where all these people have come from. You just never know with the bloody home office and their systems and processes and paperwork, Larry, another volunteer manager said, as they walked through the low-ceilinged windowless office. Tony only half listened, instead focusing his eyes on the silver tongue stud that jiggled inside Larry's mouth as he spoke. Why would someone do that to themselves? Tony wants to know. And didn't it get in the way when he ate? They don't deal with anyone for months, sometimes years, Larry continued, and then all of a sudden they process a whole load at once. It's like buses. Most of these people are still on the streets, mind you, and now they're all looking for work, which is a good thing, I suppose. What did you say your name was? Tony. My mates call me Tone, or Toner, but my wife calls me Anto. I don't mind, 
he chuckled. I'm uh, Larry, he smiled. They shook hands. Well, I'm here now. Got full marks in the online training course, you know. What? Okay, yeah, give me five minutes. You can see some of my appointments. I'll get you some paperwork and you'll be able to start. Sit here. Larry pointed to a cubicle with two chairs, a desk and a PC. And help yourself to tea and coffee, he shouted as he walked away. A shot of static electricity fizzed Tony's fingers as he took off his suit jacket and hung it on the back of the cushioned chair. He rolled up his shirt sleeves and arranged his green, red, black and blue pens in his shirt pocket. Careful not to stretch his trousers, he crouched under the desk, his belly hanging over his belt, pressing against the fabric of his white shirt, and turned on the PC. It wasn't yet lunchtime, but the office smelt of melted cheesy food, and some leftover chocolate birthday cake lay crumbling on a paper plate on top of a filing cabinet. Tony was tempted to grab the end piece, which had a cocktail umbrella stuck into it, but decided not to. Maybe one of the refugees might want it. Here, this should keep you busy, Larry said, handing Tony a pile of files. And remember, don't give them your personal details. No phone numbers, no emails, and definitely don't invite them around for dinner or anything like that, or offer to help outside of work or give them any money. Help with their CVs, application letters, competency-based interview questions, you know, that kind of stuff. Keep a record of what you've done on these sheets. Give them their fiver for travel expenses and get them to sign here. He pointed to a record book. That's it. Simple. Okay. Got it. Call me if you need anything, Tony nodded, but Larry had wandered off. For the next few hours before lunch, Tony was in his element. He saw three refugees, edited their CVs and rewrote application letters and gave advice and interview techniques, passing on Tony's signature interview tricks, as he liked to call them. He taught himself these over the years and was told by interviewees that they never failed, how a candidate should always pause, just for a second or two before answering a question, how to shake a hand really well by being firm and not gripping the other person's fingers while looking the recruiter straight in the eye to show you mean business, and how to never tell the truth when asked about strengths and weaknesses. Tony had a high achieving percentage score of getting people into work. He was told so at his last appraisal, getting positive performance and a decent bonus. But a few months later, it was suggested to him that because of his age, now might be a good time for him to take up the offer of redundancy and leave. He did so, reluctantly, never really understanding why. Tony ripped the plastic from the package of his Greg's Coronation Chicken Sandwich as he sat on a bench in Waterloo Millennium Green during his lunch hour, autumnal leaves swirling by his feet. He threw the crust to a couple of pigeons that gathered close by, and looked over at the old Vic Theatre. Maybe he should see Endgame again, he thought. Maybe he should take Lorraine and ask her what she'd make of it. Maybe she could explain it to him but he knew that she hated going to the theatre. I don't like having to watch people act, he could hear her say. It's so cringy. It's not real life. Tony was checking WhatsApp on his mobile phone after lunch when his next appointment arrived. A young man slumped down onto the spare chair in the cubicle, a waft of strong deodorant rising from him. Tony stood up and held out his hand. Still sitting, the man shook it limply, which confused Tony as he noticed a vein running along the top of his biceps that bulged the sleeves of his tight Adidas t-shirt. Possibly in his early twenties, he wasn't wearing a jacket, despite the outside chill, and his jeans were ripped at the knee. Some light stubble covered his moustache, giving him a boyish look, and a clump of thicker hairs was growing around a scar that ran down one of his cheeks. He smiled at Tony, a tentative smile, his teeth crooked, as if he'd just been told a joke he didn't get. 
Hi, Tony said. My name is Tony, he spoke slowly. I'm a volunteer. I help people like you find work. What's your name? Azad, he said softly. Oh, Larry gave me your file. Tony opened up the folder and started to leaf through some printouts. It says here, he ran his fingers under the words, that you want to find work with a football club. Is that right? Azad shrugged. What experience do you have? Coach? Oh, great. Who do you support then? Chelsea? Man United? Arsenal? Azad shook his head. Persepolis. Pardon? Persepolis, in Tehran. He took out a Huawei mobile phone from his trouser pocket and flicked through some photos of footballers in red shirts. You know this one? Ryan. You know? He asked, holding up the cracked screen to Tony. Who? Gary Ryan. You know? Footballer. He struggled to pronounce his name. Oh, um, Irish lad. Didn't he play for Celtic some years ago? Tony said hesitatingly, trying to show off his football knowledge. Good player. Striker. Now he plays for Persepolis. Tony thought it strange that a journeyman footballer like Gary Ryan, who Tony remembered reading had moved from club to club, unable to find success or settle, was now playing in Iran, and Azad's favourite player. So, tell me about your experience. Did you bring your CV? Azad didn't respond, but edged his chair closer to Tony's, so that the metal frames of the chairs were touching. He pressed the home button on his phone. Tony moved his eye so he could get a closer look, and saw the display fill up with a picture of Azad with his arm around another man's shoulder. They were standing on what looked like a jetty, the sun beaming behind them. The older man was taller than Azad. He had a neatly trimmed beard and a cropped haircut, shaved on both sides and thicker on top. His back bent, he was leaning on Azad for support, and was carrying a hold-all in his other arm. My brother, Azad raised his chin at Tony. Oh, he's in Greece. Oh, whereabouts? Thessaloniki. Can you help? I'm not sure I... Three years he is staying in Greece, Azad interrupted. I come to UK, but he's still in Greece. Twenty-five times he tries to get out. Twenty-five? Tony said incredulously. How? Azad laughed, which Tony didn't understand. Was this a joke? Was there a punchline he missed, like when the audience started laughing at nothing in Endgame? When did you last see him? Tony asked. I sent him money. Before I come to London, I work on a farm. You know, strawberries, potatoes and carrots. Can you help? Yes. Why don't we start with your CV? I'm sure there are plenty of jobs in football you can apply for. Have you looked at working in a stadium? You know, selling drinks or programmes or... No, no, you go to Greece. Help my brother at the airport and bring him to UK, he said in a hushed tone. What? I can't do that. Why not? My other friend, she try. And what happened to her? She come back to UK. He stay in Greece. Well then, Tony sat up in his chair and straightened his tie. Anyway, I'm not her. Now... Shall we go over your CV? Please. He's going crazy in Greece. Please. Was this some kind of joke? No. Tony couldn't help. Even though the idea of maybe driving back across Europe rather than flying, with Azad's brother on the floor of the back seat of his car, with a blanket over him, the sun beaming into it in through the front window, stopping at seaside towns to eat fresh fish and drink cold white wine appealed to him, and sure they never check the car when he goes over on the ferry on his annual booze cruise to France, and he doesn't have a job, so... No. How would he explain to Lorraine, Oh, Lorraine, love, I'm just popping over to Greece for a few days to help this refugee's brother get out. He's been there for three years... Yeah, I only just met him. I'm sure it's legit. Of course I could trust him. Sure, why not? It's the least I can do. People do this stuff all the time, don't they? Would you listen to yourself, Tony? Lorraine would say. Who was he fooling? She'd never go for it. Anyway, he had to save his redundancy package and didn't have any money to travel. No, he had to say no. I'm sorry. 
No. Tony shuffled his chair away from Azad. I can't. It's not safe. Azad laughed. Safe? It's safe for you. Now, where were we? Tony asked, running his fingers under his tight shirt collar. He turned the ball on his mouse and started to type, Jobs in football stadiums, into Google. You, you, Tony, think about it. Azad lightly punched Tony on the shoulder, making him wince. See you. I come back next week. He grabbed the fiver, slipped his mobile phone into his pocket, got up and walked away. As reruns of Clough climbing up the ladder to the window of his cell and endgame came into Tony's mind. Up and down, climbing towards the window, moving the ladder every few minutes to get a peek of the outside world. Desperately trying to get out. Mickey Lenton. Subscribe to Story Radio to hear more of our special season of Waterloo Festival stories or visit waterloofestival.com. Stay safe and well and see you soon. <laughs>